Okay, all right. Well, good morning. You see where things already are just a little bit differently. No sermon video today. I didn't know, like, what do we do without a sermon video? Um, but anyway, hey, um, Beth, could you kind of get ready to, can you throw the first few lines of that song up in just a minute for me? Is that too hard? Let me know if you can, or, or at least when I start talking about if you can, because I can't remember them. There we go. Um, no, no, that's the scripture. The song, the song. The, the one we just sang, yeah. There you go. Hold on to that right there. Well, first off, let's try again. Good morning. How are you doing? It's kind of different today, as you can tell. Uh, there's no ser- Have I said that already? There's no sermon video? Oh, yes, I did say that. Hey, listen, we're so glad that you are here today. And uh, it is going to be just a little bit different from what we normally do. And uh, let me just, by the way, remind you that on February the 11th, we're starting a brand new sermon uh, series entitled Favorite Things. And it's an opportunity for you to share with me your favorite sermon, or excuse me, your favorite scriptures to be used in a sermon. Already, I've got probably six or seven uh, scriptures have been shared with me. And so I'd like to invite you to do that. Um, just send them to me on my email, uh, bro.dwayne at gmail.com. You can call the church office and put them in that away, drop them by the office. And like I said, if we get enough of them, what we'll do is we'll fill Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights just sharing different scriptures that mean a lot to people's lives. And so I hope that you'll be a part of that. I really do. I think it'll be exciting. And again, that starts February the 11th. I need those as soon as you can. Uh, get those to me, though, so we can kind of plan out um, the sermon uh, series there in February. But today, and, and again, because, um, in case you didn't know, um, next Monday, not tomorrow, but next Monday, we have nine folks that are leaving for Uganda, uh, East Africa. We are very excited about going. We're going to be doing a medical team, a trip there, working with some doctors and nurses. And our part will largely be evangelism and working with the children's ministries there. We're very excited about going. So we'll be having a commissioning time, I'm sure, next week. Uh, so with that, and then also when we come back, um, it's the last uh, Sunday in January is going to be the uh, the youth Sunday, and so we'll be having a youth speaker. And so I'm going to be out of the pulpit a couple of weeks. I'll be here just gone, just one, but I'll be here, be out of the pulpit two times. And so we didn't really have a series planned, but I kind of want to get a big umbrella uh, while I'm gone on January the 21st. Roth Clayton will be speaking to us. It's Baptist Men's Day, and as a layperson, he's going to be bringing a perspective on that, uh, being a Christian man in 2018. And uh, our speakers, I think, for you Sunday are going to be McKenzie and Faith. And uh, I'm not sure what their perspective is going to be, but it's got to be interesting knowing those two. Trust me, it's got to be interesting knowing those two. But anyway, so the big umbrella is perspective 2018. Perspective 2018. And so I, I want today to share with you, though, a sermon title entitled Flying Blind. And this song was so well. You know, there's a, there's a movement today in, in culture, in Christian culture, to kind of just adapt the social culture. So many Christians, it seems, have kind of lost their way. Sometimes it's, it's really in a big way, uh, morally, but sometimes it's just in our, our worldview and our heart, our actions and our attitude, and we've kind of just lost our way, um, it seems, in a lot of things. And so, so we would call that flying blind. And this song, the reason I wanted Beth to throw these words up, because as we were singing this, and David and I talked about this, but as we were singing it, just really just reinvigorated me about the need for today's service. You know, I once was lost in darkest night. And, and that doesn't always apply just to lost people. Because when we get lost as believers in Christ, and we don't lose our salvation, but we get lost. We get lost. You're going to hear about that today. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I, I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life. And boy, is that the problem. Is that the problem? It's not just for lost people, but in our lives, in Christians' lives, that, that promise, that, that sin brings of, of joy and life, it led me to the grave. It led me to, to, to death of peace and contentment of life. And go ahead, Beth, throw, throw up that next line there, those next screen. I had no hope that you would own 
a rebel to your will. And that's what Satan shares with us. He says, God, listen, you may be a child of God, but he doesn't like you because all you do is mess up. He's ashamed of you, and he's disappointed you. And that leads us to think thoughts like, I, I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. In other words, if it wasn't this pursuing of God, this pursuing of God that he has on people, we would, most of us, still walk away. And this last part here. But as I ran... My hell-bound race. And I know that speaks to lost people. But literally, I tell you, it applies to us too. Not that we'll lose our salvation. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost. Indifferent to the cost. The price that sin weighs in our life, in consequences and regrets. Indifferent to the cost. You looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. How powerful is that. So today we want to talk about flying blind. We want to talk about what happens. How do we get in a situation where we really don't recognize and can't recognize it seems where we are. How can we, how can we be so far from God and not even recognize it anymore? Well, we want to start today with a term and I hope you all, I know the lights, guys we can bring the lights up some. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, uh, there's a term and, and it's called um, spatial uh, disorientation. Now I know that doesn't mean a thing to you. Spatial disorientation. But it's a, it's a term for pilots, for aircraft pilots. And let me, it's so good and so appropriate, I want to read it verbatim, okay? And this was not like one of seven def definitions. This is the definition of spatial disorientation. It's a condition in which an aircraft pilot's perception of direction does not agree with reality. That is the definition. Okay? A condition in which an aircraft pilot's perception of direction does not agree with reality. You could ask a guy named Carl Crane if he was still alive. This story happened in 1925, but it's a great example. Of course, in 1925, aircraft was pretty new, and they didn't have all the instrumentation. And he was flying a congressman's son um, to Washington, D.C., and over Detroit, he ran into dense clouds and fogs and totally lost his orientation. And I have a, a brother-in-law who's a, an airline pilot, and uh, his son also is one. And they would tell you that, that perception-wise, if you get into a cloud bank and an aircraft, you, it's so easy, very easy, to lose your perception. What I'm trying to say is, you obviously have left and right, but you also have up and down. And they say, I know this is crazy, but they say it is possible for you to be going up when you think you're going down, and to be going down when you think you're going up. In fact, it's easy for you to invert the aircraft and think you're facing up, and yet you're flying upside down. That's how powerful spatial disorientation is. In the case of Carl Crane, he thought he was going up, and he was going down. And because of the slowness of the aircraft of that day, it's only that saved his life. As he breaks through the clouds, he starts seeing a red glow. Didn't know what it was. It turned out to be a sign on top of a hotel in Detroit, the Stafford Hotel. And as he pulls away quickly, he barely misses the sign. And of course, once he got down, he could see the, the lights and the river and was able to track his way. And, and the story goes, his heart beating wildly the entire way. He thought he was going up, and he was going down. It happens. It happens. And crazy enough today is, and here's what's really crazy. If you watch Why Airplanes Crash on the Weather Channel, you'll hear stories about airline pilots who the warning, the, the warning panel, the lights are flashing and the voice is crying, pull up, pull up, pull up. And they reach over, annoyed, and turn off the warning and crash into the ground. You know what happens to us? It happens, it happens to us physically. I asked Judy, and she's never done this, but I, I've done it. Have you ever spent the night in a hotel room and kind of forget, you wake up in the middle of the night to, to go to the restroom or something, and you wake up and you're disoriented because you don't know where you are? 
We have a light that flashes on our ceiling that says the time and the temperature. And not too long ago, I woke up and there was no light there. And I was really disoriented. I didn't realize I was in a hotel room. And so I got out of the room heading to where I thought the bathroom should be. And all I hit was walls. It almost had a disastrous end. <laughs> to get my drift. <laughs> I finally found a light switch and a door. And I could get my perception back. I thought I was going in the right direction. But I was not. Surely sometime you've been driving on a road and the road all of a sudden is banked in fog, dense, dense fog, particularly at night, and you totally lose where you are. And of course, I've already shared with pilots and how that happens. And, and the sad part is they, they have consequences. They have consequences. And, and so these consequences can be devastating. If we're, if we're in a hotel room, and again, it's pitch night and you get up and you're disoriented where you are and boy you find the end of the bed and you end up with a bleeding toe or if you're on that road and and you're all of a sudden you find yourself in a dense fog and you just lose your orientation you end up in a ditch needing a toe or if you're an airline pilot you end up with a total disaster spatial disorientation and it can happen to all of us we have, it seems, the knack today of living and allowing ourselves to live in sin and being totally oblivious to it. And again, sometimes it's, it's an action. Sometimes it's a habit. A habit that turns into an addiction. So, sometimes it's an attitude that leads to a, to a crushed, sour heart. I mean, again, it doesn't have to be this nuclear bomb. But we somehow, have, in this 21st century, in Christianity and culture, we somehow adapted the unique ability to think we're flying level when we're crashing. Or we're going up, in fact, we're going down. And 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So today I want to talk about special, special disorientation. There's a story in the Bible. You're very familiar with it. The story of a guy named David. He was the king of Israel. And uh, he was a man after God's own heart. He, he was, you know, he was the guy that you'd ordain as the deacon. You would make him a pastor if he felt called to be a pastor. You would go to him, he'd be a mentor. David was just the kind of guy that really was a God-oriented guy. His compass seemed to be fixed on God. But that can happen. It seemed to be fixed on God. And somewhere along the road and somewhere along the way, he got whacked up. It's crazy. And he sent his soldiers out to war and he stayed home. And he gets up out of bed one day. He's kind of taking his late 4 o'clock in the afternoon nap. And he gets up. And he kind of walks over to the balcony. And he sees two housetops, three housetops over. He sees a woman taking a bath. And his man jeans kick in. Y'all know about man jeans. His man jeans kick in. He, uh, he knew not to take the second look. Well, actually... He never made that far because he stayed on the first look. He looked, and he looked, and he looked some more. And uh, he called some people in and said, Hey, go find out who this woman is. Three houses over. They come back and said, Well, I've got double bad news for you, King. What's that? He said, Well, one, she's married. And two, it's the wife of the captain of your bodyguard, Uriah. Well, first his man jeans kicked in, and then his king jeans kicked in. Because he said, I don't care who she's married to, and I don't care who is, I want her. Now, how does that happen? How does a guy, a man after God's own heart, 
make such a crazy disorientation. Well, it happens because, you know, you could take that definition, a condition in which an aircraft pilot's perception of direction does not agree with reality, and it could say something like this, a condition in which a believer's perception of direction does not agree with reality. A condition in which a king's perception of direction does not agree with reality. All of a sudden, his perception, his direction, did not agree with reality. Reality was, she was married. But all of a sudden, it didn't matter, because his King James had kicked in. As king, he knew he could get whatever he wanted. So he sent for her. And she comes, and he sleeps with her. And then he sends her home. Sometime later, the message comes. I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. Well, what are we going to do now? All of a sudden, the problem is just a little bit bigger. So, again, still off compass, still with his, her, his spatial disorientation, because the thing to do would go, I have messed up, and turn to God immediately. It wouldn't remove all the consequences, but at least we get that part right. But he didn't. He gets a great idea and calls Joab, the commander, up on the phone and says, Hey, Joab, you need to send Uriah home. I need to talk with him. Uriah comes home. Hey, Uriah, how you doing, bud? Good to see you. How's the war going? How's my bud Joab doing? Everything doing okay? Are we doing fine? Hey, listen, why don't you go home tonight? I know you've been away from your wife. I bet you'd like to sleep with her tonight. So he sends him home. He doesn't go home. He sleeps at the door of the palace. Well, the next morning, David hears the plan did not work, that Uriah did not go home. Why didn't you go home, Uriah? How could I go home when the ark is in the field and Joab's in the field and my, my, my fellow, my brothers, my, you know, my brothers in the arms are in the field? How can I go and sleep with my wife? I will not do it. David said, hmm... So he said, well, stick around a day or so more. So the rest of that day and the next day, Uriah was home. And so David throws a little party for Uriah, a private party, him and Uriah, going to become drinking buddies. So David drinks out the good, breaks out the good stuff and gets Uriah drunk. And then sends him home. It's amazing Uriah had more, much, more scruples drunk than David did sober. He still did not go home. And so, David says, okay. Writes down a little note. Hi, Joab. How you doing? Hey, listen, I need you to do me a favor. Um, would you mind taking Uriah, my captain of my bodyguards, would you mind taking him and putting him at the forefront, make sure that he dies? You ought to read your Bible. It's really quite interesting. So, Joab gets the note, puts Uriah out in the front. Several other men and Uriah dies. And David said, no problem. No problem. Everything's fine. Spatial disorientation. When a king, when a believer, perception of direction does not agree with reality. In other words, it becomes a false reality. A false reality. This is where it's really going to get different for you today. Several weeks ago, actually a couple, probably a month ago, two months ago, Billy Graham Association put out a video entitled Flying Blind. Honestly, a lot of times, junk mail, junk mail, junk mail, junk mail. Well, because it was Billy Graham Association, I opened it and inside was a an email, actually, I'm sorry, it was an email, and then they sent me a letter, but an email, and it said, hey, we encourage you to go online and watch this video. And I did. And it gripped my heart with urgency. And so I decided then that we need to show this video, not on a Sunday night, not on a Wednesday night, when 40 or 50 people would be there, but when hundreds of people would be there. Now, you need to understand the video. It's about 18 minutes long. We'll come back and put a bow on all this at the end. I hope I've, I've preached a little bit now. I'm going to preach a little bit later. So don't be discouraged. All the pastor didn't preach today. Well, we're getting there. But we've got about 18 minutes of video. 
And I want you to understand just one or two things. Um, the stories you're going to hear in the video, there are four people. These are not actors. I want you to make that very clear. These are people who had spatial disorientation. These are people who lost their way. And it's their story of the consequences and how they came home. You'll see it as it all works out. You'll see how it all ties together. And I'll come back at the end of the video, and then we're going to talk about us and what we need to do today. So would you please show the video? I just ignored them because I knew what I wanted. I wanted to just be irresponsible a little bit. I prayed for the warning signs to go away. Consequences never crossed my mind. A warning can save your life. There have been many crashes that have occurred when pilots failed to heed the warning systems or to follow the checklist. Well, you see, God has warnings as well. Has God given you a warning? Even though everything feels fine. We were in ministry. I was a Jesus girl. We were rock solid. It was on Sunday mornings, really, that I felt most alive. I felt like God played the biggest role in my success, but it wasn't entirely what it looked like. There's a moment in life, like when something bad happens, something goes terribly wrong, and you wonder how you got there. Looking back now, I never realized how quickly life can change. I had done this for so long, I just got complacent. All the warnings were there and I miss them, every single one. In an airplane, we have something called proximity warning. If you get too close to the ground, uh, it will start telling you, pull up, pull up. It's warning you. And here's a warning from the Bible. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty where people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying his power. In the church today there is an appearance of godliness but there is unrepented sin. Like a pilot doubting instruments, Christians have doubted many of God's principles. Today, it's okay for Christians to be all about self on Facebook. It seems to be okay to be lovers of pleasure. I've heard people say, God wants me to be happy. And so they use this as a license for adultery and homosexuality. It's okay to watch perverted TV programs and movies Pornography. Pornography is a huge problem in the church today for men and women. Many Christians have lost holiness and purity in their own personal lives. You need to take sin seriously. From the outside it looked good, except for the secret part that nobody knew about. One that carried, in my mind, no risk. Pornography hooked me deep. 
Bob and I both love that whole idea of doing anything for Jesus. As a pastor, I saw this young man who just needed some guidance. So we invited him to be a part of our family activities. I remember feeling so exhausted, so overwhelmed and hiding that. And then this young guy starts coming into our life. And the first thing he says is, hey, can I help you? And I was like, yes, thank you. But the more we hung out together, it turned into, you are, you are so beautiful in every way. When I knew I was going to be seeing him, I made sure I looked good. I wanted to feel loved and accepted fully. That's something that I hadn't had with my family or with the small town I was in. I remember posting on Facebook, the Lord is my shepherd and he knows that I'm gay. And that was my way of saying that God knows me and accepts me and my sin. People always ask me, how did I find track and field? I've been fast all my life. I remember being a kid and making my dad proud of me. It was one of the best feelings ever. So when I became famous in track, I asked God to help me win in any way possible. I come across a steroid that's undetectable. It had to be from God. When I was sinning, it didn't even feel like a sin. So me using drugs to affect me didn't feel like I was hurting nobody but me. I felt like I was invincible. I thought I could have this guy flirting with me. Nothing would ever really happen. I recognized the warning signals, but part of me didn't even care because I was craving this so bad. Tim Montgomery goes in lane five. There he is. Away they go. Great start from Dwayne Chambers. Here comes Tim Montgomery. Chambers now gets into his stride. Montgomery leading at the moment. Chambers trying to come back to him, but he's not going to get there. Montgomery wins this one. Time, 9.78. It's a new world record. When I crossed the finish line, all I could think about was, Thank you, Jesus. Some people might not want to hear this, but I've got to tell you the truth. Many Christians in today's churches are in a spiritual fog, but they don't know it. They're being blinded by this godless, corrupt culture of tolerance and political correctness. As a pilot, you can end up in fog. You lose your orientation, and you just cannot trust your senses without trusting the instruments of your aircraft. You think that you're keeping it level, but you're in a serious dive. And you see, there's some of you here tonight that you've been flying through your life blind. Christians are trusting their feelings instead of trusting God's instrument for the correction in our lives, and that's his holy word, the Bible. This is God's word. This is our compass for life. If Jesus were to write you a letter, what would he say to you? Here's what he said to the church in Revelation. He said, I've known your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die and repent. Atlanta Center, 424 Romeo. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. sexual affair with this guy for three weeks I knew that it couldn't continue because I just felt something in my heart say you have to tell Bob it was the most intense scary 
awful moment in the whole world. And I said, I actually did, I did it. I had an affair. So immediately, my mind is flooded. Images of her with this person. Where am I? Where were our children? This isn't just a little oops. You say that you love me, but yet you give yourself like this? It makes no sense. The rage and the anger that I had was so intense. I just stormed out of the room, slammed doors, stomped my feet. I mean, I was a mess. I really wanted to hurt her. I wanted her to feel what I was feeling. Just when I didn't think the desperation could get any lower, I found out that as a result of this affair, I had become pregnant. And on that day, I didn't think I could face my life. I just felt like I had blown up my whole family. Wake up before it's too late. Wake up, sin destroys. Sin has to be confessed and dealt with. Porn took me places I never thought I would go. Pornography groomed me, trained me, set me up. So one night I'm just driving along and I see a girl beside the road. I pull over and suddenly I'm picking up my first prostitute on my way to a Christmas Eve service. If you're living in sin, you're going to suffer serious consequences and also those around you. And then one night, my wife caught me. That hurt her. Innocent family members and others get hurt. She said, I'm done. She said, I still love you, but I don't like you. I don't trust you. I don't respect you, and I don't think you can ever change. Even though I called myself a Christian, I was living in the LGBT lifestyle. My aunt asked me to be in a Bible study. So I was learning about the goodness of God and the holiness of God. And I was thinking about my identity. When I was looking at the scriptures, I, I realized I wasn't reading the Bible to understand what it said. I was cherry-picking verses, and it's not Christianity at all. It was really a struggle in this flesh that didn't want to change. I was either going to accept this as truth, all of it, even the parts that I didn't like, or I was going to cast it all aside. Everything that I thought I got away with came full circle. I got caught using steroids. I lost my records. I lost my sponsorships. Everything was gone overnight. Many Christians think they're okay. Okay, well, this, uh, maybe a little correction here or there, but I'm okay. Just a little bit of sin pulls you off just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, and you go further and further and further. My father came to visit me in prison. He saw me through the glass, and when I seen him cry, that's one of the worst feelings ever. I was a cheater. I was a liar. I didn't know what to say to God. I just knew I had to go to Jesus to confess and to repent. When I actually opened scripture to understand what it said about my lifestyle, I never felt so much conviction and weight and guilt for sin and so much love and forgiveness and grace at the same time. I understood that I was guilty and I knew I needed forgiveness, so I clung to him. I didn't want my sin anymore. 
I knew I had to forsake it. I had to be fully surrendered and repent. Jesus Christ died and shed his blood on the cross for all of our sins. And you've got to be willing to confess it and repent. Have you confessed your sin? Well, that's what I'm asking you to do tonight is turn around. Your sins will be removed. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, there's hope. Come back to your Father in heaven tonight. I knew what I had to do and I dreaded it. But I confessed everything. Ask other people for help. Surrendered to a Christian recovery program. They made me understand that I could only experience healing to the depth that I'm willing to confess and repent. The Bible says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and with mourning. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding steadfast in love. I cried out to God, will you forgive me? And then I went to Bob and I said, could you ever find it in your heart to love me again? I knew that in that moment I had to forgive him. But I was only capable of so much. But we together chose to press in, you know, to each other, but really into God. Because we were hoping that he could rescue not just us, but rescue our family and my children. When he was born, I asked Audrey if I could name him. I gave him my name, Robert. I don't want my son to ever question one day in his life whose boy he is. He's my son now. The fact that he has his name just is that complete acceptance. It's such a picture of what God does for us. Not only does he accept us, not only does he forgive us, but he gives us his name and he redeems our life from what was supposed to be stolen and taken away. He gives us as a gift. And you know what? There's really a revival after repentance. I thought that I would be disqualified from any useful work in ministry if anybody ever found out what I had done. God has allowed me to coach kids. I'm not just sharing what I have been taught on the track. I'm sharing what Christ has taught me. This is what I get to do now. I get to pull other guys out of the soup the way God pulled me out of the soup. And it's a great joy to just participate in it. My wife and I are closer than we've ever been. She didn't tell me until just a few years ago that um, every night after I fell asleep, she would put her hand on my chest and pray for me. That God would make me into the man that I was supposed to be. I know God heard those prayers. My eyes were open to see God is worth it. The Lord gave me a wonderful husband who loves me and who loves God and who can serve alongside me. When you participate with sin, it always takes. But when you participate with God, He always gives life. I thought the line there at the end was very meaningful. Whenever you participate with sin, it always takes. And when you participate with God, He always gives. 
The movie closes with 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, back to our story with David. God sent a messenger. David moved on with his life, and if you read the Psalms, you see how miserable he was under the weight of God's conviction as he continued to hide the sin. And so finally, the resident prophet, Nathan, shows up. And Nathan tells him a story. And he says, so there was this rich guy in town who had so many sheep. He was very wealthy. And then there was a poor guy who had just one, and that one sheep they raised as a pet, and the children loved the sheep, and it slept in the home, and was cared for as a child. And the rich man had a guest come in. And the rich man, rather than take one of his own sheep, he couldn't bear with being less than he was, went over and took the one lamb that the poor man had and slaughtered it and served it for dinner. David went nuclear. He went nuclear. How can this be, he said. How can this be? He said, this man deserves to die. And more than that, he'll pay four times what he took. And Nathan said, you are that man. And what followed was a sermon from God about how God had blessed David, made him the king of Israel, done so much for him, and then the consequences that were going to follow were so hard. But David responds. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Now that's the Facebook post. That's the abbreviated version. If, you would, if he had a Facebook account, he'd have said, I have sinned against the Lord. If you want the whole story, if you want the newspaper article, if you want the 6 o'clock evening news, go to Psalm 51. And there he just pours his heart out as he understands how far off course he had drifted, how he had lost his perception and adopted a new reality. And you know what's amazing is God forgave him and continued to use David. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we've got to confess our sin. We've got to be willing to take a hard look at our lives and see what has crept into our life that we are now comfortable living with. What has come into our life that we are now comfortable living with. And it may be the big ones we talked about. It may be a relationship that's heading straight to an affair. It may be a habit leading to an addiction. It may be some attitude that we've adopted and somehow perceive that we're entitled to that attitude no matter how much it hurts those around us. No matter how much it discredits the name of God. We've got to come to grips with that. Confess our sin, and then He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've got to be willing to repent, to turn from our sin. David, Nathan goes on and writes, and David responds after he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. How incredible. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The Lord has put away your sin, David. And I love this because he says, and you shall not die. David has signed his own death sentence when he as king spoke and said, this man deserves to die. And he deserved it. But God in his mercy said, you're not going to die. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ did on the cross because the Bible says so clearly in our salvation that, that the, the payment for sin is death. We deserve that eternal separation from God in the area of salvation. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And oh my goodness. If the truth were really known about what goes on in some of our lives that no one knows about and some people know about and won't talk, how embarrassed would we be if the video played? And somehow we'd become comfortable with it. And sometimes we live as if we still deserve that wrath. Gratefully, God doesn't administer it. You shall not die. But listen to what follows. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. No matter what it is. A sexual relationship, drug addiction, gossip, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, whatever it is. God would tell you today, by this, you have utterly scorned the Lord. And then he says something that seems so unfair and so hard. The child who is born to you shall die. I want you to remember something today. And if I could sit down and talk to myself, I would. You may survive, but things are going to die around you. You may survive a sin, but things are going to die around you. Character, testimony, marriages, relationships with children, relationships with spouses. Things die that sin touches, even if we survive the event. There's a scripture, and we're almost done. There's a scripture in Ezekiel 33, 11. It says this. Listen to it. It says, say to them, and them is the nation of Israel, say to them, as I live, now listen, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is telling us today, I don't want to send discipline into your life. In fact, may I be honest, God would say, the life I've called you to is not one of deceit. It's not one of pain. It's not one of consequences. It's not one of, of regrets. I have no pleasure in that, says God. But that the wicked, the sinful, may turn from their way and live. And then he says, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God sent a messenger today, just like he sent Nathan and to people's, you know, to, to the prophet, to the king, prophet to the king, and said, you are the man. God's beginning 2018 with a message for us. Because this involves more than us. I know, I know, I'm not, I, again, lay aside the nuclear bombs. There may be some people in this room or someone listening on the radio, even right now, who are in that relationship that's either in an affair or leading to an affair. That is very possible. But a lot of us have junk in our lives that is short-circuiting the power and the pleasure that God wants for us. He's saying, turn back. Repent, turn back. The, the, the cockpit warning system is saying, pull up, pull up. God cared enough to send a message to us today. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the question becomes this. What will we do? What will we do? Will we heed the warning of God's Word? He loves us so much. If you'd have gone on, I've, I've, listened to this, I've watched this now three or four times. And Billy Graham, or excuse me, Franklin Graham, in the end portion that you didn't see, you can go online and see his invitation part. But he says, God loves you. He surely does. And my brothers and sisters, God loves us. He surely does. And he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He loves us too much to leave us the way we are. John 10.10 10 says he has called us that we may have abundant life. Abundant life. And it is impossible to live the abundant life when we are dabbling and playing and committing wanton sin. 
So as always, we're going to have an invitation time, a decision time. And as your pastor, I just want to ask you this. Believe me. Believe me, this calls me to pause and look hard. You've heard a couple of my confessions. My pride and arrogance sometimes amaze even me. Amaze even me. What are we going to do with the Word of God today? It's that time when, was it the old song or just a saying, It's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother, not my sister, it's me, O oh God, standing in the need of prayer. So I'm going to ask Brother David and the team to come on up and share with us. We'll have a song as always. The altar will be open. If you want to come and share, you can make your altar there. But the important thing is, is to heed the warning, to heed the deal today. The warning says, repent, pull up, turn back. Team, would you come on? Do you want to go ahead and bow your heads right there? Father, we love you today, and we are so grateful that you love us incredibly more than we can understand. I want to thank you, Father, for this mess messenger that you sent in the form of a video from an organization that we deeply respect. I thank you for the four people who are willing to share their stories, how difficult that must have been for them. But truthfully, their stories are our stories. Father, I want to pray in Jesus' name for clarity from the Holy Spirit. I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you will help us to lose this disorientation that we have. You have sent the Word of God to us to guide and direct our lives in 2018. And God, we confess to you, it is not enough just to read it. We have got to allow it to pierce and penetrate our hearts, to change us, that we might obey it. I pray against Satan who will be whispering in people's ears right now that it's okay, it's not, it's not going to go anywhere, it's all right. I want to pray for the piercing power of the Holy Spirit to speak to hearts. And God, may today be that first day, that first step of the journey to the abundant life that comes through confession and repentance of sin. So Lord, please have your way in our lives today. May today be the start of revival in lives. May today not only be the first Sunday of the new year. I've heard that phrase a couple of times. The first Sunday of the new year. May it be the first new Sunday of our lives. Jesus, I pray this in your most precious and holy name.